Hey, it's Matt, and you're listening to episode 48 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports podcast. Thanks for tuning in to this one. We'll get to the episode in a minute, but yeah, regular listeners might have noticed a little bit of a gap between the last episode and this one. Got to be honest, I've just been busy, really. Uh, I've had trade shows, I've had loads of stuff going on at work. So the podcast took a bit of a back burner in the meantime, but uh, I've had a bit of time this week. I've been on my holidays down in Cornwall and uh, yeah, just had a surf and some lunch, got a bit of time, thought I'd crack on with it. So here we are. So episode 48 of the show, recorded this one on my travels in Germany a couple of weeks ago when I was attending the outdoor show in my civilian life, as I think a few people have gathered. I run a company called All Conditions Media with some of my wonderful friends down here in Brighton. And I was over there doing some work stuff. And while there, I teed up this interview with climber, alpinist and Patagonia ambassador, Matt Helica. Now, if you don't follow the the climbing scene, I'll give you the thumbnail sketch. So Matt is considered to be one of the UK's top alpinists, but I think he'd be best described as an all-round mountain athlete, really. Someone who's at home in any mountain environment. And as you'll hear, somebody who likes to switch his attention between different climbing disciplines so he can uh, mix it up and keep things mentally and physically interesting for himself. He's an IFMGA mountain guide. Uh, He is renowned for his obsessive approach both to physical fitness and to the way yeah, he approaches the projects that he sets for himself. So yeah, that's that's the thumbnail, like I said. But what I quickly discovered during this one is Matt uh, is charming, self-deprecating, extremely self-aware. And I think it's fair to say, although this was the first time we met, we did really hit it off in this one. And as ever, I wasn't really that interested in enlisting the achievements and making Matt exhaustively list his training regimen. I wanted to find out, yeah, what makes him tick at a critical point in his career. And happily, Matt got on board with that one straight away. And the result is a conversation that I really, really enjoyed. Now, it's funny doing this, especially when you don't know the person. you got to find that common ground pretty quickly. That way in that will let the other person relax and think, all right, this guy knows what he's doing. And let you into their, uh, yeah, their life and inner thoughts. And for me, as the interviewer, it can be a real head game because you you know you you're looking for that that moment when the other person relaxes and the the topic that they that they feel that they can talk about comfortably um but this one I just really enjoyed because I could tell within like 30 seconds it was going to be a good one and just relax and get into it and uh yeah that was uh, that was great and Matt's at an interesting point in his life and career as he takes stock on his achievements and decides where to go next. And what I kind of realised when I listened back to this one, it's about life cycles, really. How much do we control them? Or are we controlled by them? Can you ever really find satisfaction and happiness from the things that drive you? Or uh, will they always remain unsatisfactory and somehow unknowable? As ever, if you're a regular listener who's wondering who Matt is and why you should listen, then I'd really implore you to give this one a go. These are themes that I've just outlined that I love to dig into. And we had a right old time discussing them, which I think come ac- comes across well. So, uh, yeah, without further ado, here it is, my conversation with Matt Helica. Keep it southwest. Enjoy. So I'm with Matt. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, mate. Yeah. Good to see you. Yeah, and you. So you were just saying you drove over from Sham 
today straight to the outdoor show yeah um well actually i drove over um sort of early hours um and then i dosed in the van right so i I got kind of um stuffed by a ferry to get over the lake they kind of closed unfortunately i went on the what is it roman yeah roman yeah Yeah, they stop at half eight actually don't they (laughs) quite early so yeah yeah so i just dosed in the van then came over the over this morning but all good yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so straight into trade show straight yeah. into the trade show yeah i just like say i got here i just had a quick coffee and then like you know you know you know what it's like you kind of um yeah it's just really cool to see all your friends and yeah you know the people you're working with and yeah you kind of straight into it and, and, and these trade shows i think for me it's kind of pretty fun in yeah. a way because it's just quite social yeah um whereas obviously for a lot of other people it's business yeah there's a lot of back back to meetings all day exactly yeah. yeah whereas i'm just basically sort of like just just coffee, you know, just coffee drinking the majority of the time. Checking the number of coffees. As yeah, well. exactly. You've got to be a little bit careful. That Patagonia coffee. Is, uh, <laughs> it's good, huh? It's definitely quite punchy. Super good. Yeah. So you've been in Italy. Yeah, I've been. In, I was. Yeah, I've got this project over in Italy at the moment. So I got back from the UK, and um, and I guess I'm quite project driven. I really need to like have like projects lined up for for the summer. Right. Um, and I kind of like try to like work my training around that and try to peak at the right times for like a individual project. So, um, so I got this thing I'm looking at at the moment. I'm nowhere near doing it right. at the moment, but I'm hopefully going to, you know, sort of look at it now, kind of work the moves out and then work out what I need to train. And then hopefully at the end of the year, then become strong enough to actually do it. So it's kind of like a long term project. And there's this route um, in Italy called Ground Zero, which is which is a 9A. And for me, that's quite a hard, a hard rock route. Um, but it's a sport climb, so you're climbing on bolts. Yeah. Um, but basically, it's all about trying to pull as hard as you can. Um, and I think, you know, for me, um, being like an all-round climber, which is what I am, I, you know, I'm not just like a an alpine climber or a, or a traditional climber or a, or a sport climber, you know, or a skier. I'm kind of everything. And... The problem with that is obviously, um, you know, it's very hard to be good level in all of those aspects because all the training for those things is very, very different. Yeah. So, um, so it's a bit of a stress actually. So at the moment I'm just focusing on the sport route and then I'll then go to the Dolomites and do a big multi-pitch project in the Dolomites. And then at the end of the year, then go back to the UK and then do this project in, in, the, um, in Pembrokeshire, um, which is trad climbing before the winter season starts again and I, yeah. then I start thinking about skiing and mixed climbing so I guess it kind of keeps it fresh which is kind of nice so how you say that you're quite project driven and I did I did notice on your Instagram that you you, you posted the other day and you were kind of saying I'm kind of over expeditions for a couple of years yeah and I'm going to concentrate on sport and try to climb in yeah so how and you and the other thing I've noticed in researching this is you do sort of take pride in being an all-round climber yeah you know that's something that seems to be important to you so how calculated is that like this this kind of like is it methodically like you know what I'm going to concentrate on this and I'm going to start working on a project in this area yeah for sure I mean I think I think it has to be if you want to perform at a good level in all aspects yeah um you really do have to kind of think about it and have things really planned out um and yeah I mean for sure expedition climbing I absolutely love and it's kind of like you know where where I kind of come from in a way um but the thing with expedition climbing is it makes you very weak because there's a lot of traveling there's a lot of sitting around and you could be on a trip which i have done for like maybe two months and get maybe one day of climbing because the weather is so bad or uh, the conditions are terrible or maybe you feel altitude sick or something and you know it's not yeah it's it's not good for the body um and not good for 
performance if you want to perform at a high level in yeah. a certain aspect which is important to you which is important to me currently yeah. at the moment I'm, I go through cycles yeah. um, but certainly at the moment you know um, I feel that with my age I mean I'm, I'm 37 um, and I feel that you know um, for me to perform at a high level in, in rock climbing there's a window of of that you know as I'm getting older yeah. and you know y- your power levels will decrease yeah um, so I feel that I really want to kind of maximize um, my rock climbing projects currently to climb as hard as I possibly can. Okay, that's interesting. And then when I get older, yeah. then hopefully I'll be more chilled and I'll be able to then sort of like mentally um, get back into more expedition style climbing where I'm more concerned about the experience, I guess, as opposed to just climbing really hard. Yeah. And, um, and I think, you know, that process will probably last for a couple more years of trying to focus on 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 rock um and but then i have got an expedition sort of planned for next year so i'm I'm kind of putting a little bit of pressure on myself to think right i've got a couple of years to right do the rock and then go back into into expedition climbing but but also i think you know um you know i spent a lot of time in scotland during the winter as well and mixed climbing and mixed climbing in scotland is the best winter climbing like in the world it really is um, and you know you can go winter climbing in the Alps and Cascade climbing, but in terms of the whole experience and in terms of um, the quality of the movement and how we protect the climbs in Scotland with you know with climbing with like cams and wires to protect it naturally, as opposed to having bolts in the yeah rock sure. Well, there's a purity to it isn't exactly, it? and it makes the whole experience f- so much more intense. Yeah, and. Um, and yeah, so, but but at least with that, you're kind of going out for a day, you're having a, a hit in the hills, but then you're coming back and you can train and keep your fitness up. Yeah. Whereas on expeditions, you're away for months and then it kind of like screws things. So, do, yeah. you, do you find that mentally challenging, that inactivity? Yeah. Is that something on those expeditions that you struggle with? Absolutely, yeah. Right. I mean, I'm terrible with rest. Right. Like, like you know, generally. And I was going to ask that because just come across that you're somebody that needs a physical outlet, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, uh, I could probably, if I'm honest, climb a lot harder if I actually rested. Right. And because I, I'm, I'm definitely OCD with um, training for a project and getting something in my mind and everything goes into that. Right. And um, what does happen is um, I put too much into it. I don't rest enough. I get injured. Yeah. Um, that then puts me back six, seven weeks. And I, and I bet you murder when you're injured. Oh, mate. <laughs> I mean, people just disappear around me when I'm injured. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm quite a chilled guy. Yeah. Generally. Um, but yeah, when I'm injured, I'm probably a bit of a different beast, I think. Well, it's it's difficult, isn't it? Mentally. Mentally. Know, it's a thing because I interview a lot of athletes for this. And it's a, it's a constant theme, that one. Yeah. Know, like how you cope with it. And, yeah. And, and mentally how you can... And it amazes me. Some people are really matter-of-fact about it. Some people just... Like I interviewed a girl last week, an Olympic snowboarder who's just done her ACL. She's got eight months out. And she's just like, yeah, I'm just going to take eight months out. And I'm just going to like, you know, book that in yeah. effectively. And I was like... Jesus. But I think, I mean, I mean, that's not, that wouldn't be oh, my approach. No, man. I mean, <laughs> I, I wish I could be like that. And, and I think the problem is with, with climbing, with whatever aspect of climbing you're actually doing, um, it's very different to a lot of other sports that, you know, it takes a long time to get fit. Yeah. Long time to get your power levels up, to get your power endurance up. And that just falls off the cliff within a couple of weeks. Yeah. If you don't, maintain that it's amazing how fast actually isn't it, it just goes man yeah. and and it's a stress if you think that you've put like so much time so many hours into training into 
you know, for a project and then you get injured and then, you know, you're out for like seven weeks. You feel that, you know, okay, it's going to take me another seven weeks to get back to the level I was and yeah. then you go again. So then everything gets put back. And um, yeah, I mean, for sure, um, mentally, it's it's very it's very challenging when you're when I'm injured. Um, and I wish I could be um, more as a matter of fact about it. But I guess for me, it is my life. Yeah. And I'm totally motivated and driven to you know do the best that I can within the sport. And um, and I just see that it kind of like really sets me back. And, and also I, I just feel, and it's really bad, I know, but I'm, I'm, I'm still quite young, I guess. But I also feel there's a bit of pressure, that yeah. time pressure. Well, I was going to say, you've put a deadline on yourself effectively, haven't you? Yeah, which Where, doesn't help. Where's that come from? I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I don't know. I think because I kind of know that because I do do a lot of research into training and performance, I do know that that's going to dip off in terms of certain right. aspects. And so I, I guess I kind of rightly or wrongly do put this time pressure on me to actually complete something. And that's why I'm, I'm really kind of thinking now that, okay, once I've, I've set myself these projects for this summer, like a really hard sport route, which would be at my absolute limit, and a really hard traditional route on, on gear, on a sea cliff in the UK, which would be at my absolute limit. And I think then I'm hoping if I complete those, I can be more chilled and then just go and experience climbing and enjoy not actually peaking at a certain level. Right. Going and enjoying routes of lower grades just for the experience and for the ambience right. as opposed to trying to perform at such a high level. Do you believe that though? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, because what you're talking about is drive, aren't you? Yeah. You're talking about like your ambition yeah. and kind of like ego as well, really. Yeah, you know, for you're sure. Talk, you're talking about like where this drive to do these things comes from aren't you yeah you know yeah because one of the things i read you say which i thought was really interesting was when i succeed at something there's like 15 seconds where it's like great and then after that it disappears yeah you know which yeah. again is drive isn't it it is. is and it's and it is kind of one of those things where um i w really wish you know I, I mean i saw a friend the other day and she actually said to me she said you know um um, you know, are, are you are, are you satisfied? You know, do you ever feel satisfied and you know and content? And um, with my personal things in terms of my climbing, I, I I never feel content or never feel satisfied. And I think um, that's a quite a hor horrible place to be. In well, a way. I was going to say, how does that make you feel? Does yeah. That make you, do, do, do you feel horrified? Or yeah, are a you little, kind of, yeah, a little are you bit. Kind of reconciled with that. I think it's kind of. I, I think. I think the thing is, is that I do feel satisfied for a moment. You know. Yeah. And it was just like last year, I set myself these goals last year and um, I completed them. And I thought that that was going to be, okay, that's going to be, I, I, I climbed an 8C, which I really wanted to do. I climbed an E8 on the trab, which I really wanted to do. And I thought, right, for me, technically, from a hardness point of view, that's going to be the hardest that I'll be able to climb. Right. And then as soon as I did that, I was like, mm, well, maybe next? I could climb a 9A, maybe I could climb a E9, you know, and, I, and it's just a number. But also when the route also really captures you as well, yeah, um, then actually it does become a bit of an obsession. And I think, you know, if I could, yeah, if I could be, yeah, if, if I could be like, you know, happy with, um, with that for a moment, I mean, yeah, I guess it lasts, it lasts for, yeah, like you say, five minutes and then you move on to the next thing. But yeah. I do think, I do think, you know, as I get older, maybe I'll become a bit more chilled. Do you reckon? Well, I think you just reconcile <laughs> it, don't you? You just kind of, you, you just accept that's part of your, your nature. 
Yeah. And probably understand it. Because I bet when you were younger, you didn't even think about it. Didn't even you think about it. You just were like, whatever, this is what I'm doing. And, exactly. You know. But was there, was there something like a project or a feeling from early on that that was that was more satisfying that you, you've been trying to reach again when you were younger? Do you um, know what I mean? Yeah. No, I mean, I don't know. I think... Um, I feel that I'm more driven now for things right. than I was when I was younger. Okay. Um, and it's really funny. I did a film, um, my last film called um, called um, uh, Citadel. Yeah, I watched it yesterday. Yeah, actually. And, and, and a mate of mine was interviewed in it called Nick Bullock. And, um, and he said one line in it that really hit home. And he said, Matt is the biggest underachiever in British climbing. Wow, that's quite a... And that hurt. That's a, that's a pointed thing to say, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and it hurt, but also at the same time, it also gave me a bit of a kick up the ass. Why, why do you, what do you think you meant by that? Because obviously from the outside, yeah. if you look at your list of accomplishments in climbing, you probably wouldn't say that. So he obviously knows you really well. He knows you really well, and I think he... I don't know, maybe he could see the potential that I did have. Right. That he thought that I was being maybe... Um, living too much of a comfortable life. Well, wow, that's really like I say, being being too chilled. Yeah. You know, like happily going climbing and just going climbing for going climbing's sake and enjoying the whole process. Yeah. But um but actually not really suffering or not really kind of having like like high expectations of myself. And that really kind of Do like, you agree did you agree with it? Did um, you did you think cuz obviously at first you probably like fuck off but like Yeah, when no, you, I think I did agree with it actually. Right, when you thought about when it. When I thought about it. Yeah. I mean initially it was a bit like oh, that, 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 that a bit of a knife. But then actually I mean I mean he's one of my best mates, you know what yeah, I mean? Sure. And, and it's not like, you know, yeah. like well, I he wouldn't say it if you exactly, didn't yeah. if he didn't think you and, would take it. But I think it was like actually yeah, he's got a bloody good point actually. Right. And I, and I, and I you know and then that was then when I really started to um, be project sort of focus driven yeah. and really say, right, okay, I need to like do these things. And yeah, maybe I am being a little bit too comfortable. Right. Um, and, and since then I've climbed harder than I ever have done. Um, and yeah, so it's done some good. Yeah. It's done some good. Have you always been project driven? You're always somebody that's just got like a... Well, no, I haven't. And that's the thing. Because, right. you know, I was always kind of like just enjoying climbing. Right. Going climbing, going on trips. And if I didn't get anything done, not being too stressed about it. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, that sort of comment just triggered something in me to then yeah. be like, right, Matt, you need to be project driven. So now, you know, since then, I've had like short term, medium term and long term projects throughout the year. Um, and just... You know, as I said, from a performance point of view, they, you know, currently they they've been rock projects. Yeah. But then that's going to change as I get older, and particularly next year, you know, that's going to go more back into into expedition climbing and and sort of things in the bigger mountains again. Yeah. Um. But um. But yeah, I mean, um, I I I like to think that probably it was um like I said, just a kick up the ass that I needed to be like, right, Matt, you know, yeah, you do have this potential. Um. Well, it's interesting. Do something about it. Interesting topic, isn't it? Because it is about that like like we were saying like ego like full like whether you're fulfilling your potential and like that honesty with yourself yeah because there's nothing wrong with cruising at all is there there's not there's not and you know that is a totally acceptable yeah, it is way of living your life like it, you don't have to push yourself constantly and you know we, we probably anyone listen to this like you you well there are countless happy people that yeah. are just but obviously what he's identifying in you is 
that's probably not going to fully fulfill you as well. It's not going to fully satisfy me. Yeah, which you're, it sounds like you're agreeing with. Really. And I'm agreeing with him. Yeah, yeah. I'm agreeing with him. And it, yeah, and I, it's, it's, you know, it's, I, I do find, I think, you know, from, um, you know, climbing is, a, is, is an amazingly special thing to experience and to, and to go through the processes of trying to, to do a route, whether a sport route, try to do a, a route in the mountains. Um, but it's a very, um, um, it's quite a spiritual thing as well. And um, and I think you know that's something that um, that I kind of really um, really get from it. And I think it's I don't know it's it's kind of yeah I kind of do go around in circles in my mind in terms of you know what is it I'm actually doing right and why am I doing it the way I am and why am I putting so much pressure on myself like you say when I could be. Like, yeah, okay. You know, I've done some really cool things. Yeah. You know, um, I could just sit back and just kind of like enjoy it for enjoyment's sake. But yeah. I don't know, man. It's Have you always had that drive then from, yeah. from when you got into it? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, I have. I have. I've always been driven. I mean, when I was younger, you know, I was terrible at school. I mean, I'm horribly dyslexic. Um, and I, I, I didn't get on well at school at all. And, um, and basically, like behind where where my parents lived there was this cliff and this cliff's called split rock and um i was only climbing there only a few weeks ago again actually i just went up by, up by myself and it was a really cool experience to be up there brought back some really nice memories right and um and i was just kind of like um you know and, and i was like yeah, 16 then i guess and and i kind of um uh yeah that that kind of really helped to like sort of springboard me on in terms of where um, where I got my motivation from because I, yeah, because academically I was terrible, but actually I found that I was actually quite good at climbing. Um, and yeah, that kind of like helped with, um, with my sort of future plans as it were, I guess. Right. And where did you first sort of get the desire to try climbing from? Well, I, again, I think it was, I mean, it was just basically, you know, moping around, and then going up to this cliff and I saw climbers climbing at this cliff. I'm like, oh, that looks really, really cool. And then I, I thought, oh, I could, I, I want to, I really want to try that. So I managed to actually rope my dad into, um, uh, like going up to the cliff. I went and bought some gear, you know, and I didn't really have a clue what I was doing, but I kind of researched it and I, I never really read a book. And that was, the, and it was the only book I read in terms of like how to tie knots and all that sort of stuff. And, and my dad basically just kind of like accepted that I knew what I was doing, you know, and I set these ropes up and I got my dad at the bottom and he was holding my rope. And, and there was this one climb I remember and the climb's called Certain Surprise. And, um, and I just remember like when I was younger, just seeing this climber just like float up it, like just like, and I'm like, oh, that looks really cool. And um, I set the rope up on Certain Surprise. I'm at the bottom, my dad's at the bottom holding my ropes on the top rope, you know, so no, no yeah, climb, yeah. just about climbing. And I couldn't get off the floor. Right. I couldn't get off the floor. And I was absolutely mortified. Right. Because I just watched this climber just float up it. Like it was just nothing. And you thought, I'm going to do and that. And I thought, I'm going to do that. Yeah. But I couldn't touch it. Right. And, 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 and I think that was like, like a massive like setback to me then. And I think possibly, probably a, a lot of people at that point would have gone like, oh, do you know what? Fuck it, man. I'm just going to like, just, just not bother. Right. You know, well, that lit something. But yeah. that lit something as yeah. to be like, do you know what? You know, well, if he can do it, I can do it. Right. And that was what was, 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 was a really good incentive. And then it kind of went on from there. And then I kind of went and did a lot of rock climbing in the UK. And then, and then for me, the rock climbing didn't quite cut it. And I wanted to then 
get into winter climbing and then right. I then went up to Scotland and did my like apprenticeship in Scotland. Yeah, because there's a route for you if you're a British climber, isn't there? You know, yeah. You can, you can, you can see the way to do that. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You sort of do your rock and then yeah. you kind of go to Scotland and you do your Alpine, appre- uh, yeah, you, your, your Scottish apprenticeship. Yeah. And, you know, and, and anything in Scotland is full of, you've got to navigate and you've got long walk-ins and, you know, it's brutal conditions and it's Arctic weather. And then it's, yeah, it's like an apprenticeship to then go to the Alps. And then yeah. you go to the Alps and you're like, do you know what? The Alps is actually quite easy compared <laughs> to Scotland. Right. Um, yeah. And it really sets Not you up. It's windier. Yes, yeah. Well, that's what I've always <laughs> said to people, actually, you know, is that actually, you know, the best training for a greater range expedition is going climbing in Scotland in winter. Yeah. Because it's heavy packs, long walk-ins, brutal weather. Yeah. You've got to suffer. Whereas in the Alps, we only go out if it's blue skies, really, you know, and you kind of like mince around on skis and you kind of worry about getting down for a cappuccino, <laughs> you know, or, oh my God, the lift's closed at four o'clock. We've got to get back for the lift. I don't yeah. want to stay up here tonight, you know. So your days are short. Whereas, you know, in Scotland, you're out, you're climbing the last pitch and, and it's dark and you can't see and anything. And you got to get back. Run out and yeah. you haven't got to like worry about getting a telecabin. So you've got more commitment, you know, into the climbing. Yeah. And um, and, I, and, I, and I find that, yeah, for sure, you know, it's a, it was, a, you know, it was a re- really cool place to actually um to actually learn things and i think that's where and why you know a lot of british climbers in the past have basically done amazing things in the greater ranges just from climbing in in scotland you know they haven't really maybe even done a a couple of trips to the alps but and that's why i think we have such a really good sort of like history of amazing mountaineers when you look back through you know what people have done through you know through history yeah so who were some of your uh, influences when you were when you were started on this well obviously you know like the, the old classic boys i remember going and watching sort of lectures of like doug scott and yeah. chris bonnington because like you say there's, there's such a heritage there, there is for sure within the uk but but also there's this one guy um called mark twight um who's an american alpinist um and um mark bought out a book called extreme alpinism Okay, and I never read a book in my life, right? Because I said, you're I'm, dyslexic. I'm dyslexic, and it's right. an effort. And this book was like, you know, um, more of like um, like a tool. It was, you know, there was a, a lot of information in there about how to become an, a, a good alpinist, and there was like experiences of, of stories of of, of 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 his trips and what he learned from his trips, and and it was and it was cool, you know, and it was yeah. like, you know, and but then also you kind of learn technique along the way as well. And um, and this book was like a bible to me, right? Um, and and I also kind of you know really got into like you know you know following him. And also there was a a book he brought out called Kiss or Kill, uh, the ser- uh, the story of a serial climber. I think that was <laughs> that was it. And um, strong, yeah. And uh, and I read that book, and that's the only book I've ever read apart from his other book, right? Um, like from, from page to page. Right. And again, it was super motivating and yeah. it's just stories of, of Alpine climbing um, and sometimes succeeding, sometimes getting absolutely thumped and nailed and everything going Pete Tong, you know? Yeah. Um, and that for me was amazingly motivating. Right. Gave you a, gave you a sort of path. Exactly. Yeah. And the coolest thing was, I guess, yeah, you know, if, if I was to say that, you know, I don't really have heroes or anything like that, but, you know, he was definitely a good motivator for me. Right. And the coolest thing was I was in Alaska and um, and I met him in Alaska. Right. Um, he was kind of going on a trip and, um, and I met him and we had a drink in the Fairview Inn um, 
and he was a really fucking cool guy. Right. Did you tell him? Did you tell him? I told him, yeah. And, right. told, and I've told him since. I've told him since, you know, and, right. and, and, and we kind right. of like... Stoked, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know, but but we're kind of like, you know, I, I, I kind of, um, I, I've been in touch with him. Right. And, um, and he's he, he's mailed me back and, and I have let him know, you know, that, man, you were like a serious motivator for yeah, me. Yeah. And, um, you know, and it's really nice to actually, to, to know that, you know, yeah, not all your sort of like, all your heroes are assholes. You know what I mean? When you meet them, yeah. do you know what I mean? And, and for me, that was really cool. Yeah. So I guess from, yeah, from a motivation point of view, that was, that was, that was a really big thing when I was growing up through my early teens yeah. and my late twenties. And that kind of like, yeah, like, you know, fueled the fire and, um, and then I kind of like, you know, took it from there and played my own game, I guess. Did you have any other mentors like that, that you, that you looked up to when you were? Yeah, I had this one guy and, um, you know, he's a, he's my best mate, really. Right. Um, guy called well, one of my best mates, um, called John Baker, and he was actually one of the guys who was climbing at Split Rock. Okay. Um, and um, and he was obviously looking at me. He saw this little blonde lad at the bottom of the cliff, and he's like, "Who's this? Who's this weirdo watching watch me?" You know. <laughs> and um, I looked at this guy. I'm like, "Wow, he's he's amazing." You know. You know. I, I look back now, and he's not. Right. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, when you were a kid. <laughs> but, no, I'm joking. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. But um, um, <laughs> when I'm a kid, I'm like, "Wow, this guy's this guy's like a legend." John, yeah. Johnny Baker, and um, and then uh, and then he kind of like took me under his wing, I guess, and we did trips together to the Alps and we did trips together to Scotland. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, one, we were so motivated that one winter um, from sort of the Bristol area where we were both working in a similar area, um, we did 14 weekends on the trot to Scotland. So, right. so we'd work till Friday, get in the car from in Bristol Friday night, drive nine hours up to Scotland, climb Saturday, Sunday, wasted Sunday night, yeah. get back into the car, drive back down Sunday night, early hours of Monday morning, back to work Monday. Wow. And we did that for 14 weekends on the trot when we t one, one, one winter in Scotland. You know, right. it was amazing. You know, it was a really cool experience. And he was like a bit of a mentor. To, he was definitely a mentor How to me. How old were you when you were doing this? I must have been like, uh, yeah, I was like early 20s. Right. Early 20s. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And he, and John's older than me. John's kind of like, um, John must be 50 now, I guess. And were you ticking off the the classics the classics exactly yeah. yeah the classics and um you know and just learning um you know learning about um yeah how, how you know how to move well how to take care of yourself and that's and that's one of the big things particularly in winter climbing is how you take care of yourself taking care of your hands and your feet and, yeah and also john was a real like patagonia um like fanatic right I mean, john's john lives in the middle of dartmoor and this house you know you see these houses like where it's kind of like you just see moorland and then you see this white dot and there's a house in the distance. Yeah. You know, he's got that house. That's right. him. And he lives Drive off the grid. Like, who lives there? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like, who lives in there? It's kind of strange. Yeah, and he, and he lives off the grid, you know. And um, right. And um, they're very cool. Um, him and his, and, his, and his partner, Anna, and his kid, Matilda. Um, and, and they're vegan and, um, and they're total Patagoniacs, you know. And right. I remember, you know, us going to Chamonix and then... Um, Basically, he'd be there with Anna in the tent, and then you know I'd then show up, but Anna didn't know that I was showing up, you know. And be like, oh hi, guys. <laughs> and I was like, oh hi Matt, I've seen you here. You know, oh, we're gonna go climbing. Yeah, we're gonna go climbing. Yeah, you know? like, and yeah, then, yeah, yeah, come on, yeah. And then we go into the Patagonia right. store, and then um, Patagonia at that point then used to bring out um, like like catalogs, like the smaller catalogs, and yeah. there was like cool photos in there, and 
on the photos there were some really cool sort of like taglines and things like that and I just, and, and so and I remember then like you know falling in love with with Patagonia as well as you know and so John was a bit of an influence from that as well right yeah. right so formative in the way to like be as a climber and yeah. the way to live your life kind and of. how to live your life exactly yeah. you know yeah you know be a dirtbag but do it in the best possible way yeah I mean, it's probably a good point to talk about the the fitness really because that's definitely something that you're quite synonymous with like your approach to how you look after yourself and you used the word yourself earlier obsessive yeah definitely you know? obsessive. So, so when did that style was that something that was allied to the climbing from the beginning yeah i mean i've always been a bit of a fitness fanatic right yeah i always did it very wrong right um because now push yourself too hard yeah push yourself too hard and and do things the wrong way i mean i think one advantage that young climbers have now is it's not like it used to be i mean you know i used to have like one climb wall maybe near me that we used to occasionally go to but now there's amazing facilities everywhere for people yeah really accessible and there's structure people know how to train there's a lot more in the well, last there's knowledge isn't there? there's knowledge go on YouTube yeah exactly in it's the last there, 10 it? years it's yeah. gone crazy whereas you probably had to work out for yourself you had to work out for yourself and we were doing everything wrong yeah that's why we were shit right <laughs> so <laughs> in what, in what way up. like just not training smart just not training smart and you know maybe training more endurance so your endurance goes up right and then your power goes down you know so if you just train endurance all the time yeah you become good at going very slowly and doing lots of things over and over again but when you get to like a stopper hard move yeah then you just don't have the strength the power to bear down or to deep lock on an axe or whatever to actually pull through it yeah um and we always thought it was all about just basically going climbing and just basically hammering yourself into the ground right um until you know you just couldn't do another move you know but actually sure. it's not about that right and and I think, yeah, um, so yeah, so training was always a massive thing for me. Um, I trained very badly for the majority of my life. Um, and I think, you know, recently in the last, probably in the last 10 years, that's where I've really kind of really tried to put a lot of research in myself um, and a lot of experimentation on myself in okay. terms of training. And right. I have like training logs of everything written down and um, and I built this um, this woody in my garage as well. So I've got somewhere I can train that is my happy place you know i've got my board there my woody i've got my trx set up I've got yep. my hang boards and all that sort of stuff and um because genuinely whether we like it or not if you want to climb hard you have to train yeah you've got to be fit you've got to be fit yeah. yeah but then that's the problem if you want to be fit also for for alpinism it's very different yeah you know because and that's why i've had to like, say to myself right i'm going to take a couple of years out from big expeditions because then it's more kind of on your legs yeah or more cardio type fitness sure whereas you know if you train a lot for high you know for, you know for alpinism that's not really going to do much good for your for your rock fitness yeah um if you want to peak at your own personal high level so it, it's so specific in terms yeah. of the training for what you do and when um it's seriously complicated man yeah so you've got different protocols presumably for different outcomes exactly yeah yeah exactly and you just try to kind of like do the right one when and, and how and but then it's really sad because then when you when you stop on one you see the other one just dropping off yeah you know? and you're like oh my god I put so much effort into that right. and i want to like pull it back but you yeah can't, well i think you know? everyone can empathize with that you know you get you get you know you go up you get on one you get fit and yeah suddenly you're like oh, i'm gonna drink beer for a bit exactly yeah and then it's out the window and it's you? gone oh, you gotta got start again now yeah right <laughs> so do, do you ever give yourself a day off um very rarely actually yeah no i very i mean hagen does out and uh <laughs> yeah I, well that's the thing i mean I'm, I, I don't you know i mean I, I i don't i don't really drink i have a, a glass of wine occasionally or 
maybe a cider. I mean, Southwest boy. Yeah, Southwest. Got to keep it. Got to keep it. Keep yeah. it Southwest. Yeah. So um, yeah, no. I mean, yeah, no. I mean, I, if, if I, I I do rest occasionally, but then I might then say, right, okay, today I'll do core. Right. Um, because I'm not using my arms. So I'll have like, so I have to do something like I do like a core workout. Yeah. Or, or currently at the moment, you know, I'm just trying to like keep like a bit of weight off. Not that I'm big, um, but, you know, try to be super lean so that I might go for like a, a taper run, you know, in, in sort of heart rate zone two or something. Right. So I'm not even actually like, it feels like I'm just walking, you yeah. know, you know, but, but it's calculated. But it's, yeah, it's yeah. Calculated, yeah. So, yeah. So, um, but I'm not pulling on my fingers or, you know, or, or anything like that. So, yeah. So I do rest, but I guess it's active rest. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I, I really wish, and I hope eventually I will be able to get into a place where I will be able to say, right, I'm going to have a beach holiday. I'm yeah. Sit on a beach. Well, for this a week. is that thing again, isn't it? This is what you were saying earlier. It's like, you know, one day I might, I might calm it down. I exactly. Might get to the point. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, and I think, you know, that, that will, will get, that button will get flicked. But, but that's the core thing, I think, with being an all rounder, actually, is because of the fact that you do move from one aspect to another. I think if I was just like a boulderer you, you or get a sport climber, I get frustrated yeah. and you get a bit bored, I think, yeah. going to the same cliff over and over again. But it's funny, you know, like, the summer season ends and then you know the snow comes and the ice comes and then you it's like it's like a switch and suddenly you kind of like forget about those sort of rock projects that you have or haven't done during the summer and then you kind of focus more on on the winter projects and having axes in your hand and crampons on your feet and you're skiing and you're wow I'm skiing this is amazing you know yeah. I'm climbing I'm winter climbing and and then and then suddenly the snow disappears and then that fl- switch gets like flicked but then the thought of actually that flick of that switch being flicked yeah you think that's oh, not going to happen, but it, it just right. happens so naturally. Yeah, and you yeah. Kind of change focus. <laughs> right, okay, now it's onto onto rock. And well, you were saying earlier, it's it's cyclical, isn't it? Yeah. And are you are you quite happy just to recognise those cycles now and to let them? Kind I am of unfold. Yeah, unfold. And I, because I think they're very natural for me. Yeah, I, I imagine they are. Yeah, yeah, I'm not really kind of like forcing one or the other. Um, and and I think you know, um, I think I think next year when I've got like an expedition. Uh, planned then you know that's going to come off uh off a winter period so yeah then my mind is already in the winter mountains and sure. skiing and climbing and whereas I, I think if you go from sometimes like the summer of rock climbing on sea cliffs um to a big mountain yeah your mind is still yeah soft got to catch up got to catch up yeah. whereas if you go from a bit of harshness and suffering of scotland and yeah, yeah. alpine winter into an expedition it, it, it kind of feels a bit more you feel a bit more hard do you sure. know what i mean because yeah, yeah. yeah we all get like comfortable and soft and but it's all in us you just got to like find it you yeah know? you gotta recognize yeah. it yeah yeah can you talk about the expedition well yeah i mean the expedition is basically um kind of work working out at the moment um really want to go to india okay um i've been to many places lots of places um to the greater ranges and um an expedition climbing for me um is 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 super cool because of the fact that it's 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 not just about the climbing is it has to be about the whole trip and also the most important thing it has to be about the people that i'm on that with you know I'm, i'm definitely a person that um i'm very fussy with who i climb with 
and I really want to come with mates. Yeah. And I really want to have a great time and have a laugh and feel comfortable with well, people. Well, especially in that environment. In that environment. And yeah. you have to like, you know, sort of, you know, be comfortable with people and trust them as well. And there's a lot of very, very amazing climbers out there, but it doesn't mean that you want to climb with everyone. Yeah. You know? Um and um yeah, so um so I think, you know, we're trying to sort out this plan for India at the moment. Um and um the peak itself is it's kind of just under seven thousand meters. Okay. Um, which is ugh, almost a little bit too high, but yeah. okay. Because the thing is for me, you know, if you climb super high altitude, um, naturally your body basically starts to shut down and you can't climb hard. And I'm not into going to climb Everest with oxygen or anything yeah, like that. Sure. That's definitely not my scene. And what I want to do is to climb big faces um, in the greater ranges that like maybe like you know 1500 meter 2000 meter long but if the altitude of that peak is 4000 meters to like 6000 meters brilliant because you can still climb quite hard at those altitudes you start going above that and then it's basically snow walking yeah it's a war of attrition exactly yeah so outrun the altitude yeah and i'm definitely more sort of like driven for climbing hard yeah on big faces as opposed to just high altitude and I think altitude for me as well, it would just, you know, it would just kill me. You know, I think I'd just be absolutely like in pieces with it. I, I was on, um, I was on a trip to Annapurna three. Um, and you know, we were, we got to like sort of six and a half thousand meters or whatever. And that felt fine. And I could, and I feel like I could, you know, be happy at that sort of altitude, but any, any, yeah, I think, you know, you start going like super high. I think it just destroys you. Yeah. And we, was that a realisation that it took those expeditions to kind of realise? Yeah, it kind of took those expeditions to realise that actually, you know, I don't really want to climb like 8,000 metre peaks. It's not for me, really. It's not really for me, you know, because I I, want to do all the other aspects as well of climbing. Yeah. Um, But as we've spoken about, it takes so long to keep your levels up. Yeah. I want to kind of like, you know, try and go there, not have too much climatisation, climb these things, have a great experience and get back. As opposed to be away for months on end, you know, like walking around trying to acclimatize, and then I, you know, yeah, I get a bit bored. I think, yeah, know? yeah, yeah, and I yeah. miss my family and all that sort of stuff yeah. as well. So, yeah, yeah, no. So I think it's like you know, um, yeah. So so the thing in India is it's supposed you know it looks like a really cool cool objective, and um, um, yeah, it's you know it's still in the process of you know sort of putting everything together, but yeah, it's it's it's, it's definitely gonna definitely gonna happen. How how much goes into that then? Because I mean. Y- that's the part of the, those expeditions you just don't really see, isn't it? Yeah. You know, the actual oh. finance, the organisation, oh, the nightmare. logistics. Yeah, the, it, are you starting now to do that? Yeah, just looking into it now and trying right. to sort out the red tape so and all sorts of stuff. It's a year, really. Yeah, it's a, it is a nightmare. Yeah. And um, and I'm probably also not the best at organising things. Right. I mean, I'm very bad. I mean, I dem- generally look about two weeks ahead <laughs> right. normally yeah i am not a good organizer at yeah. all um and um yeah i'm so so i'm probably not the best person to like organize these things for honest. and probably it goes i mean i did a trip with a mate a few years ago I went to patagonia and um i was the guy who was who was supposed to organize the freight so we decided we had loads of gear port ledges and ropes yeah and yeah so I was the guy who was going to sort all the gear out. And um, so I said, okay, mate, no worries. I will sort the freight out. So I sorted the freight out with this company. Came to the house, picked up all the gear, disappeared. This is like a month beforehand. So right. I'm like, right, I'm organized for a change. Yeah, this is cool. I got this. Got this. <laughs> anyway, fly then to Patagonia like a month later. 
expecting all the gear to be at the hotel where I'd sent it to. Right. So the hotel said, yeah, no problem. But we can we can accept them. Fine. Get to the hotel in El Calafate. They're like, uh, gear? Mm, no, no, no. <laughs> no gear. No gear. I'm like, what? What, what do you mean no gear? I've sent it a month ago. Got onto the freight company. And they're like, uh, yeah, no, it's stuck in customs somewhere and you should have like, you know, answered this email and should have sent this and whatever. And I'm like, well, okay, we'll do this now. They're like, okay, no problems. We'll get it to you within 10 days. I'm like, right, okay, 10 days, fine. Well, it's not good, but we'll yeah, have to suffer. Yeah, salvageable. Anyway, to cut a very, very long story short, basically um, we sat there for 10 days, to, well, almost two weeks. The gear never showed. Right. Um, and basically we didn't actually uh, get the gear back to the UK for a further four months later. Wow. We just had to fly straight back from Patagonia back to the UK. <laughs> and honestly, mate, when you look at where that gear went, it went from like it went from London to Amsterdam to Cape Town right. to San Francisco to London, you know, and then to Amsterdam. And it went all over the bloody world. Right. But and then it from never where you got to, to where we wanted to go to. <laughs> and maybe that comes down to my organisation as, as well a little bit. So is he still your mate? He's still my mate. <laughs> he knows how shit I am. So, but I, I also like to think it was a little bit of, uh, you know, a bit of a mistake from the freight company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so the organisation is is a nightmare. Yeah, and um, we were just talking before we started recording. So you, you know, you're in Chamonix. So how long? How's that going? How long have you been there? I've been in Chamonix for like nine years, I yeah. guess. And um, Chamonix is a cool spot, um, but you know, home is the UK for yeah. sure. Home is the UK. Um, I, I use Shami as like a base, but home's the right. UK. And um, and I was only saying earlier, you know, from an outdoor point of view, you can't beat it. Yeah. I mean, people kind of, I think, um, don't realize that. And they think, oh, the UK sucks and all this sort of stuff. But actually, if you're into the outdoors, it's the most amazing place to be. You can do everything. Yeah, it's you, got, it's you got can, it all. You can be on the beach, you can surf, you can climb, you can go to the mountains. Every sport you can do there. Whereas... You know, in Chamonix, you're very limited, you know, and certainly on like days where I'm not climbing in Chamonix, I'm like twiddling my thumbs going, mm, well, what am I going to do? You know? Really? Yeah. It's not, that's not the sort of party line on Chamonix, is it? You know, everyone's always like, Chamonix. Yeah, know? exactly. And it's like, you know, and I don't know. And also I think sometimes, I think maybe would I be more productive if I was going to Chamonix with partners lined up and yeah. going climbing there as opposed Bang to being based there. Exactly. Yeah. And being just a bit more like, oh, do you know what? Well, there's shit today. I'm not going to bother going out. Right. Whereas if you're there, you know, so, so no, so I mean, so Chamonix is a core, core base and it's great to go back and forth, uh, but I got my van and I'm in my van probably more than I'm in Chamonix. Right. Um, I'm away a lot. I'm traveling a lot. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, and that's really cool. And I really enjoy sort of van life as it were. Yeah. And, you know, going from one place to the next and it can be, it can be quite exhausting as well. But, but yeah, but it's, no, it's cool. And I think, um, and, and for me, you know, I, I know I grew up in the Southwest of the UK, sort of near Bristol. And um, yeah, it's a great part of the world. Mate, it's great. Yeah. And also, you know, if you're in Bristol, you know, you well, you got five climbing walls there for a start, so you got you got a lot of training possibilities. The climbing within that whole area is fantastic. You got yeah. North Devon, you got the South Coast, you know Pembrokeshire down the way. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think if you don't mind driving for like two hours, you know, or hour and a half, yeah, from Bristol, you can go to anywhere. It's really cool. There's so much cool stuff. Yeah, so it's a good base. It's a good base in the UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you think you might make the? Pick. I think I'll head back to Bristol. Yeah, yeah. Nice. I got a lot of good mates there as well. All my mates are there, really. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm, and I always find myself, and my family's there, and and I always find myself like when I when I was injured recently, um, and I always find myself kind of like heading back there when I'm injured or 
well, I'm in a bad place because I guess that's home, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and I, I, yeah, exactly. And yeah. I can train there. Everything's familiar and whatever. So yeah. 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 How's the injury? Is your finger right? Yeah. Well, the, the, the finger that was injured is definitely a lot better. Um, and the, 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 the annoying thing was I was, I was going really well all winter training. Um, because obviously it was uh, like, you know, mixed season skiing. So I was skiing lots, alpine lots and training on my board. And I was skiing and I went down to unclip a buckle on my ski boot on right. my middle finger. I just flicked it. I flicked it and the poured the A2 pulley inside the, oh, inside the man, finger. What a way to do that as I well. I was like, fuck man, you know, what a way to do it. You know yeah. what I mean? You know, I mean, it, it can happen. I mean, people sometimes do it like taking a lid off a jar of jam or something like that. Yeah. But um, yeah, I did it flicking, on, flicking off a ski boot and that just like, was like oh man, this is not good. And then, um, so it, it took about sort of you know, eight weeks to get that to get that back again. Right. I was just bouncing off the walls. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but you know, but I was trying to be focused and train other things and stuff like that. And um, but then, yeah, I was climbing this project yesterday in Italy, and I kind of like went um, into a, like a two finger pocket. wasn't warmed up at all. I was just kind of like looking at it. And I heard like a pop. Right. In another finger that's already been damaged. I and normally that's a sign of like a pulley tendon blowing a pop, okay. like a pop sound right but i'm hoping it was maybe just a bit of air in the joint right and i'm here now like pulling on the table thinking uh is it okay i'm putting pressure through it. i think it's okay yeah but um you can rest it a little bit yeah well you, yeah you just had them done yeah, yeah yeah so um <laughs> yeah so injuries are okay but they're a constant they're a constant vein of my life yeah yeah yeah, for sure. And how was that winter? You just had like the craziest like ski winter, I mean, in the, Chamonix. The ski winter's been amazing. Huh? Yeah. I mean, I spent a lot of the winter um, in between Scotland and, and Chamonix because the, the 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 climbing in Chamonix wasn't very good because obviously there was so much snow. Yeah. But the skiing was like epic. I mean, I skied powder every day I skied, man. I mean, it, and I skied a lot, you know. Yeah. Like, you know, definitely for a few months solid and... Um, uh, it was amazing conditions and you know you could ski things that you haven't skied you know in a long long time you know and then yeah i was back and forth to scotland a lot because scotland the conditions in scotland were fantastic to, to go mixed climbing and yeah we did a couple of like core core routes and a new route up there as well and um i was climbing with another uh patagonia ambassador quite a bit pete whitaker who'd not done um, any mixed climbing before really and that was so cool because obviously Pete's like one of the best crack climbers in the world and, yeah. um, and then you know you kind of put him out of his comfort zone into right. like, into mixed climbing Wicked. and it was really cool and we got on really really well and me and Pete are going to do some sort of like expeditions sort of together in the future as well so, right. so it's kind of like a, a bit of a process towards doing trips together as well yeah. coming up so okay yeah nice so yeah so I'm interested in you know this this sort of theme of like what where's it going to end you know where's wh wh where am i going to be satisfied you know because you've been sort of saying like ah oh, you know maybe it'll calm down you know so uh, do you know the answer to that do you know do you know when have you got like a, an objective like one thing that you're building towards or have you well i think you know do you know what yeah i, I wish i i wish i i wish i knew actually and i think um and i always think you know and, and i kind of envy people who are actually quite you know um quite satisfied i guess yeah and I think, um, I think, I, like I said, I've set myself these goals for this summer, but then it doesn't necessarily have to happen this summer. It can also happen next summer, I guess, as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I put these like time pressures on myself to actually do these things because it does just add to the stress of everything. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, man. I don't think, I don't, I mean, looking back at my life and looking how 
what's happened and how how I've progressed and how I've got there and whatever, I, I don't think I'll ever actually be satisfied. No, that's what I thought you might say. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I'm striving to be happy. Yeah. Um, but... Is it linked? I, I, unfortunately, at times it can be. Yeah. And certainly, um, yeah, certainly, you know, when I'm not satisfied or when I'm not achieving... Yeah, man, I get depressed, you know, for sure. It can like be really kind of quite heavy for right. sure. Because it's like, you know, if you are focused, project driven and you're not doing stuff and you're not maybe as good as you used to be or whatever, or worried about not being as good as you used to be, then yeah. that can get you into quite well, a place. It sounds like it's quite linked to your self-esteem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But um but generally, you know, I'm I am a happy guy. Yeah. Um and I just have to kind of take care of myself, I yeah. guess. So you're learning, when, you're learning about this relationship and exactly, how to manage it. Almost. How to manage it, where you kind of feel like, okay, you know, ooh, you know, I'm, you know, I, I gotta, yeah, I've gotta make sure that, um, that things are, um, yeah, exactly that things are managed. Yeah, you know. But I think, yeah, I mean, but I, I honestly think also that. I mean, I, I I sail quite a lot with my dad. My okay. dad's like a sailor, and I, and and, um, and he's got a, a a nice boat, and we go sailing down on. He's got a boat down in Dartmouth, and I really kind of get a lot out of that as well. And I find that kind of gives you the same feelings of mountaineering, okay? Because you're committed. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, you're out. Yeah, no one, you know, if you the seas are big and there's a process. And, yeah, there's yeah. a process to go through to kind of like, like we've got to get back in, we've got to do this, we've got to yeah. do that, and um, and it keeps you fresh in mind. And, and, sure. I, and, I, and I think that you know, hopefully, as I get older, I think you know, maybe when my climbing starts to, you know, um, I'm always gonna be a climber. That's not gonna change. Yeah, I don't know how I'm trying to kid here. <laughs> I was gonna say when my climbing starts to slow down. I don't, I don't know if it will, but. I think, yeah, I, I'd like to do a bit more sailing as well because right. I think that will kind of like sort of still bring me that sort Give of like contentment and that sort of like fear, you know, that sort of, you know, feeling of of um, of exposure. Yeah. Because I think, you know, I think actually having that feeling of exposure and um, and that sort of like sort of thing, that sort of butterfly thing of like, shit, man, this is serious. Yeah. That unfortunately, I think, is like a little bit of a of a drug in a way. Sure. When you've had it a lot. Yeah. Um. And I think you know, um, there's been lots of other things that I could have done in my life that potentially could have killed me. Like you know, like like paragliding, for example. Someone's like, oh man, start getting into paragliding. I'm like, well, that's just another thing on the list. You know? <laughs> yeah. So so I've tried to kind of like I've tried to kind of like calm that down. But I think with sailing, I think it's kind of like a nice thing to go and do. And and I, I think it would probably give me that sort of same sort of buzz. Yeah. Um. And um. But along, still alongside climbing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, I just, yeah. I mean, yeah. Just strive to be happy, man. That's yeah, the main yeah. thing, and try to, um, you know, try to be the best possible person, like along the way, and to, um, yeah, try to tick your own, your own personal goals, and that's all it is in the day. No one else gives a shit actually what you do. No one cares. It's your own thing. And I think if we can all sort of like, you know, you know, strive towards our own things, then um, then then that's all you need to do. You know, you don't need to go pleasing other people because you feel you need to or whatever. So. So, yeah. So. It's quite complex. huh? Yeah, man. Yeah. That's a great point to end it. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. No worries, mate. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Thanks Cheers, very man. much, pal. Cheers, yeah. mate. Awesome. So there you go. That was my episode with Matt Helica. I hope you enjoyed that one as much as I did. 
top conversation with Matt. Very much looking forward to uh, our paths crossing again, which I'm sure will happen in the future. And if you um, are a first-time listener that's been brought here by uh, my guests this, this week, check out some of the other episodes. Alex Honnold, Shauna Coxey. You might also enjoy my chat with Patagonia's Rick Ridgway, another legendary alpinist and mountaineer. Or you might enjoy my conversation with the surfer Tom Carroll on managing pain and finding ways to keep performing at the highest level as you get older. Um, but yeah, have a dig around and uh, hope you find something that you like. So it's been a while and uh, I think it's time for Housekeeping Corner, given that it's been a couple of weeks. Um, surprisingly popular part of the show, this bit. So here goes for this one. Firstly, the newsletter, which I've mentioned a bit recently. And I had a bit of a moment of clarity, actually, with the newsletter. So, you know, like everyone does, I've got the software that I use and I get a, I get a notification whenever somebody signs up. And I've got to say, that's pretty frequently right now. Um, and then when I go and check the list, when I came to do a new one, I was completely baffled as to why it just did not appear to be growing. And then I went and checked the mysterious sounding unconfirmed subscription tab. And there you all are, the literally thousands of people who've signed up for my newsletter and then not confirm their interest by clicking the link on the follow-up email. Now, of course, I know that um, by newsletter etiquette, it means that the people who have bothered to click that link are legit and presumably pretty happy to get the newsletter. That is the point of it, after all, um, to get rid of the time wasters. But for the rest of you wondering why you've not received one yet after I harp on about it every week, that's why you've not clicked the link. So check out, check your inbox or spam for an email from me, click approve, get yourself on that newsletter list. I send them out whenever I have something interesting to chat about. And from the uh, the open and click rates, people seem to be digging them. So in the finest Mark Maron tradition, don't miss out, folks. Sign up today, elsewhere. Um, I've actually been having some really nice interactions with members of the great Looking Sideways listening public, including quite a few people that I've met in real life recently who were really full of kind words about the podcast. So big thanks for that. Gonna gonna read them out. Actually, huge thanks to uh, to Jonathan, who I met when I was surfing at Gwenville the other day. Um, hello to Eric, who I also met around Senon, who also is very complimentary about the podcast. I met Luke in Germany, who's also bigged it up. Jonathan in St Agnes and uh, Tessa, who I met at the Black Deer Festival recently. Yeah, thanks to you all. I really appreciated the kind words that you all had for that. Um, big thanks also to Jimmy who emailed me all the way from Australia saying how much he was enjoying the show. And they really do mean a lot, those messages, especially when you're looking at your newsletter list and wondering why no fuckers uh, clicking the link. So thanks a lot, basically. If you've uh, if you've sent me a message or, for, or some words of praise, it, yeah, I'm, I'm really always really stoked about that. I did also receive an absolutely amazing message on Facebook, which I was going to read out. But I've somehow managed to lock myself out of the, looking sideways Facebook page which is now telling me that I can only post ads which is really annoying can't actually post on there anymore got to be honest the thought of trawling through Facebook message boards to work out why that's happening is almost making me cry tears of frustration and I've got to be honest life's too short really so if you're wondering why I'm not posting much on Facebook that's why I might get around to sorting it out if anyone does know how I can sort that out without me flinging the laptop through the window that'd be great Anyway, that's it for this week. Um, I should be picking up the pace again as we move towards episode 50. 
In the meantime, usual drill. Thanks for listening. If you like what I do, want to hear more of them and want less gaps between the episodes, you can help. You can buy some uh, a t-shirt or a hoodie. Um, you could share it on social media or you can leave me a review on iTunes. All that shit I mention every week all works and uh, is much appreciated. So I'll be back with another one next week. But in the meantime, cheers for listening and uh, yeah, see you later. (laughs) 